Welcome to the Grace Life Church podcast. My name is Parker Smith, lead pastor of Grace Life Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. Our prayer is that the sermon you're about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you to the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. Open your Bibles with me this morning uh, to Philippians chapter 1, looking at verses 3 through 8 again. And uh, I'm going to do my best um, just to continue to uh, know that we have a lot to work through this morning. And I'm going to step on the accelerator and hope that I don't speed through any speed zones or get pulled over or whatnot. But I'm going to try to just work our way through as, as, as intently as I can. But we do have a lot to get through this morning. We're continuing our sermon series through the book of Philippians last week. We looked at just three verses. We're going to do the same this morning. We looked at three through seven or three through five last week. And we'll continue to look at this introductory Thanksgiving of the Apostle Paul to the Philippian church. If you recall from last week, we examined closely the phrases and the depths of words that are penned here in this, in this text. We saw that was right on the surface, these words were filled with quite a lot of passion and quite a lot of affection. And we saw, Lord willing, just how much we can understand and glean just by simply coming to God's Word with a straightforward study and just digging into God's truth. It would be akin for us to finding a historical heartfelt letter or exchange between two friends such as these words here in this text this morning. And just a baseline reading of this text. Shouts of both the depths of the friendships and the partnership that they have together. And by just by way of reminder, we said last week of this togetherness in the gospel, that partnership entails prayer and working toward this grand crescendo from last week's message of the progression of truths found in verse 5, that it is anchored in the gospel, centered in the local church, fueled by generosity, ignited by mission, and sustained by love. And if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon, for there are many essential truths in the life of God's church found therein, and many aspirations for us as a faith family at Grace Life Church. But I would invite you to stand this morning as we read Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. The Apostle Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me in grace." both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, would you say amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love your word. Father, we love you. Father, we love your son. We love our Savior, Jesus Christ. And may we see Him above all this morning. May we see the great love with which He has loved us even before the foundation of the world. 
Father, may your spirit work in our hearts. May we absorb and know and believe and apply these truths in our life. And may we leave here changed because you've worked in our hearts. We love you, Lord. Help us to love you more. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. If you'll allow me, I'll just jump in and pick up right where we left off last week. That this togetherness in the work of the gospel. Number one, it includes prayer. It includes partnership from last week. And by way of continuation this morning... Partnership includes, point number one, preservation. In verse 6, or this Godward perseverance. The Apostle Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That in the flow of the larger context, namely from verses 3 through 8, Paul is moving from the immediacy to what is a promise. In other words, he's moving from what is pressing to what is most important. And in the flow of this text, we likely feel the great crescendo within this writing of when are you going to get to verse 6? And here we are. Namely, from the working of the Philippians and their partnership now to the working of God in them. And it is here that the Apostle Paul expresses his utmost confidence. Of this I know, of this I'm sure, that he who began a good work in you will finish it. But before we dive too much into that, let me ask this question. Why would Paul say this to them? Why would Paul be motivated to address them with these words at this time? Why would he say this to them? And as I reflected upon that question in preparation to teach and to preach, I know that there's a lot to say, but I sense that the Lord and Paul is speaking contextually to their partnership and fellowship together. That's not to say that this verse has nothing to do with salvation. Certainly, there are overtones and truths to be applied to personal salvation. But contextually, the good work that Paul speaks of is directly connected to their partnership or to their koinonia in the gospel between Paul and the Philippians. And I will preach with both and hints of both of those in view because I see them connected and they're very difficult to separate. Yet I was reminded that Paul is writing to a church with great needs, a church that is pressed on every side and from without side, a church that is under threat, a church that is facing resistance, a church that was also deeply connected and committed to partnership with Paul. And they're a church who's staring opposition right in the face, whose main leaders who Paul himself was in prison. Yet, and they look around and you look within this church and you see a church that's hurting. You see a church that's fracturing. You see a church that's parting of personalities and discord beginning to come up and two women that can't seem to get along and sides are being formed and lines are being drawn. And people are beginning to posture themselves to live for only themselves rather than for one another and for Christ. And I think the question then maybe in their minds and maybe in ours as well is that, is this partnership, is this all going to be undermined by their sin? Is all of this work, is all of this partnership, is all of it for naught? Well, this little church that started so well but now is struggling so much and seems so weak, are they even going to make it? 
And it's to that reality that Paul says, I am confident of this. I'm sure of this. To be amply persuaded, to be fully convinced of the good work. And what of this good work? This good work, Paul tells us, notice in the text, that it's a work of grace. Namely, that Paul links the good work to the working of grace. Look at verses 6 and 7, this connection. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way. What way? That this work will continue. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because... I hold you in my heart, for you are partakers with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. How was it that Lydia came to faith in Christ? Was it not, as we read and what we know from the Scripture, that the Lord opened her eyes to the things that were being spoken by the Apostle Paul? Acts 16, 14. To that I say, it is the working of the grace of God. How was it that the slave girl was delivered from her demonic oppression and from her former way of life? Was it not but the working and the grace of our God? Or the Philippian jailer who in his panic and his fear and on the verge of self-harm comes to Paul and Silas and says, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What grace of God what mercy of our Father to forgive, to pardon, to cleanse, and to welcome sinners like us into His family. And because it was a work of grace, Paul says, that began this church, the work of grace that began the Philippian church, Paul says, I'm confident then it will continue. Paul says that this work was also the work of God. That this working unto salvation is a divine orchestration. It was not a work that we perform. It's not a work that we earn. It's not a, of deeds that I have done. It's not the cracking of a magic formula or code or through the prayer or recitation of a special prayer. Beloved, salvation from beginning to end is from the Lord. Jonah 2.9. And so Paul tells us, in Ephesians chapter 2, for it is by grace that you have been saved. And that through faith. And this is not your doing, but it is the gift of God. Not a result of work, so that no one may boast. And it is the Lord Himself, the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 12, 2. It is the Lord who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Salvation is from God. But moreover, it is the Lord who builds His church. And for this church that is looking down the barrel of hardship and trial, and they're giving, and they're giving, and they're going, and they're going, and things are getting difficult, and things are getting hard, and they're wondering, is this going to continue? It is. Because it is the Lord Jesus Himself who says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. Beloved, God doesn't need our help to build what only He can build. He doesn't need us to steady the ox cart. And while He certainly calls us to participate in His church, beloved, don't mistake that, that He needs us to build His church. 
The church is his bride. The church is his plan. The church is his institution. The church is his idea. The church is his work. And so we say, Psalm 127, verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And this is why Paul begins in verse 3 that says, I thank my God for you. Beloved, your salvation comes from Him, and it is His gracious doing, and so is the gracious building of His church. And Paul says, I'm confident of this. I'm confident of God's ability to build what he started. And not just to begin something, but to bring it to completion. This isn't an experiment. Man has experience, has experiments. God carries forth a plan to completion. And in his redemptive plan, from all eternity, was to unite all things to himself in Christ. And Christ will build his church. This good work had history. This wasn't just a random statement from the Apostle Paul. He wasn't just playing some guessing game with them. Instead, he saw the outworking of fruit in their life. He saw their partnership and their willingness to commit and to stay connected with him and to persevere alongside him and with him. And so he says in verse 5, I thank, I thank you for your partnership. From the first day until now, he saw the display of grace and the evidence of saving faith within them. And Paul says to them later that you should work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, he sees the fruit of the evidence of Christ, but doesn't want them to become passive so to avoid any responsibility to continue in Christ or in their partnership. Paul doesn't want them to buy into the destructive teaching of what's called passive sanctification. Namely, that God's just going to zap you and make you perfect and you don't have to do anything. Beloved, I'll tell you, you will make a shipwreck out of your life if you live that way. And you won't drift towards holiness, but instead, holiness is to be strived for without which no one will see the Lord, Hebrews 12, 14. And of course, any progress that we see in our faith is of course the gracious working of God. But Paul is careful to strike the importance of both, that God will bring it to completion. But this also demands your participation and your partnership with me in the gospel. So not to diminish either for that would be a recipe for disaster. And so it is that we too are to live lives of purity, to live lives of godliness, to be unstained from the world, and to be clean and to be pure and to be holy as God is holy. But it is only by the grace of God that God will complete His work in us. For it is Christ who knew His church from all eternity... And as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, it is Christ who will ultimately sanctify His church. It is Christ who will cleanse His church and wash His church and present to Himself His church, His bride, without any wrinkle or without any spot or without any blemish, but in splendor. And so it is that He will bring His good work to completion. And this good work is also a work that must be kept. It must be guarded through divine 
persevering and through divine guarding and keeping from the beginning to the end and will all culminate, Paul says, at the day of the Lord. On that great and final day when he will manifest himself in glory and he will be united to his bride, his church, and all the wicked will be judged and finally condemned. And it's in this understanding Paul can say, and don't be frightened by your opponents, for this is a sign of their destruction and of your salvation. And it's why Peter can say that you are living stones who are rejected by men. You are living stones but are being built up into a spiritual house, into a holy priesthood unto the Lord. And the same is true for us today. I'm encouraged by the work of God, that the work that God has done in the life of Grace Life Church. And I'm confident that God's work will continue, that God's grace will continue, that God's partnership will continue in the life of this church. And I'm confident because this is the work of God. I'm confident because this is not the work of the flesh. I'm confident because it's all been of God's grace so far. And I'm confident because we've seen the faithfulness of God. And I'm confident because it is the Lord Jesus himself who builds his church. And I'm confident because it is Christ himself who keeps his church. And I think for us, what can be difficult in our life and in in life together is to be short-sighted and to forget the work of God, especially in the midst of hardship when they come. When suffering comes, often it causes us to forget God's work. And what an encouragement the Apostle Paul gives to this church that in spite of difficulty, in spite of their working and striving, and in spite of their giving and partnershiping for years, and maybe they're even tempted to give in and give up, only for Paul to say, but I know this. I know that God's at work in you, and He's at work in you now. And I've seen Him work in you in the past, and I'm confident of His continued work in you. And because of the perseverance of God's faithfulness. Beloved, we need perseverance in partnership. We need perseverance in the local church. We need perseverance in the Christian life. To not give up, to not give in, to not be so short-sighted, but to remember and to be confident that the good work that God has begun in us, He will continue. And beloved, I promise you this, on that great and final day, I promise you this, it will be worth it a thousand times over. In which we will know that it is the Lord who builds His church. And we will be with Christ, and He will be with His bride. He will be with His church, and our salvation then will be complete. And we will be transformed in His likeness. Our sanctification will be finished. Our partnership together will be fully and finally realized. The persevering of partnership by divine orchestration by the Lord. Point number two, partaking. Look at verse 7. The apostle says, It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you all in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul says to the Philippians, You are my co-sharers. You are my co-partners. No doubtedly closely connecting the partnership that he mentioned in verse 5. That is to say that both shareholders, they are both shareholders in the work of the gospel together. You are partakers with me in grace. To which I say, 
What grace? Is this the grace of salvation? Surely it's implied as the personal sanctification is plied in verse 6, yet contextually again, the primary means of the good work was of partnership. So I take that to mean, even in this text, and I'm going to show you this, that this grace is also connected to their partnership. And this grace is connected in such a way that I believe Paul intends for a specific type of grace that he is speaking of. And I think that's why he gives to us two primary demonstrations of what this grace looks like. Note the text again. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both, here it is, number one, in my imprisonment, and number two, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. I take that to mean that Paul's intentional application of this grace that he is speaking of, is to be applied in imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul is speaking to a church from Roman house arrest. Likely he's chained to a Roman guard. He's awaiting trial. And he has said to them, I know you're concerned about me, but I'm in good spirits. In fact, when I think of you, I have great joy. I consider it a great joy when I pray for you. And all the while I've been here, you haven't abandoned me. You've actually shared with me in my suffering. But moreover, Paul says, I know that you're in a similar situation like me. But also you shared with me when I was bound in these chains, but you also shared with me when I wasn't bound in these chains. You shared with me and you were actually a great help to me when I proclaimed the gospel. For it was you, Philippians, that helped support me in my time of need. You are partakers with me. And the gracious giving to the gospel work and the gospel going forward is at large due to your generosity in Philippians 4. I had no other people that would partner together with me except you alone. You were partners in grace with me. You were gracious to me. You were partners of the grace of God through your giving and your support. But Paul also says, secondly... You are partners of grace also in my suffering as well. And through my imprisonment, not just through your continued support and the going of the gospel and the defense and proclamation of the gospel while it's spreading, you are gracious in partnering with me in that, but you are also willing to suffer with me as well. Even in my imprisonment. And Paul makes this connection very clear. In Philippians 1.29, it's connection of suffering and partnership. Look at Philippians 1.29 and 30. He says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had. That's partnership. That's the grace of suffering. And now I hear that I still have this connection of suffering and partnership. Beloved, sometimes God's grace to us comes in a form that is quite uncomfortable for us. I'll say that again. Sometimes God's grace to us 
comes in a form that is quite uncomfortable to us. And sometimes His grace towards us is actually suffering for His namesake. And I believe the Apostle Paul is echoing this reality to the Philippians. That suffering, and the suffering that you experience, he says quite clearly, it's been granted to you. This is God's gift to you. God's gift to you isn't only that you believe in Him, and that you have prosperity, and that you have health, and that you have wealth. That's not the only form of blessing that God's gifts to you. Yet also within God's gracious providence, in the same way that we receive the believing and the blessing and the promises, Paul says in the same way, you must also be willing to embrace His graciousness in the form of suffering for His namesake. To which Paul would say, and you see my conflict, And I know that you're fully aware of my conflict. And I'm fully aware of yours. But I want you to know that even in the midst of my conflict, it has produced in me what? Great joy. Because what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And he says, what then? In verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, in pretense or in truth, that Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. And yes, I will rejoice. Paul would say to them, you think this is where I want to be? In prison and locked up next to a Roman guard? You think this is what I want? Here's a man who since his conversion, think about it, since the conversion of the Apostle Paul gave a zealous proclamation of the Gospel. And now he's likely been in custody for two years. He's awaiting a trial. He's awaiting on here about his appeal. And he's unsure how all of this will come to an end. Of course I'd rather be in the synagogue. Of course I'd rather be in the marketplace proclaiming Christ. It's been years since I've been able to do that. But I'm okay, Paul says. I'm okay even though I'm bound. I know that the Word of God's not bound. I'm okay because even though I'm in chains, I know that Christ is still at work. And even though my circumstances are not one of joy, I will be found in joy because I know Christ. Because my joy is found in Him. My joy is found in His work. And the purposes of my life are not to live for my own, but to live for His glory. And so the outlook of my life is that of joy. And Paul effectively says to the Philippians, I don't want you to have such a weak faith that only sees opportunity in things that are comfortable for you or things that advance yourself, but to know that even suffering is a means of God's grace to you and to join Christ and to share with Him in His suffering. This is why Paul would say in Philippians 3, but whatever gain I had, I counted all loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And to be found in Him, not having a righteousness that comes from my own, but one that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So that I may know Him, Paul says, and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him 
in his death. This is why Peter would say, don't be surprised. Do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you as if something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, rejoice in so much as you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And may we be slow to only count God's grace in terms of blessing and things that are just comfortable for us and to ignore the grace of suffering for His namesake. And as we are partakers in the grace that Paul speaks of, may we be willing to receive all of it. The grace of mercy, the grace of comfort, the grace of giving, the grace of going, the grace of growing in Christ, and the grace of trial and suffering should they come. To know that we have been called to this, for by many tribulations you must enter the kingdom of God. And James tells us that we would meet joy, we would meet our trials in joy, and meet our suffering in joy. And may we be like the early church that considered themselves worthy to suffer for his namesake. Acts 5 41. And Paul says, I know that God is at work in you because you are partakers with me, not just through your gracious giving and your supporting of me in the defense and proclamations of the gospel, not just the grace of giving, but also in the grace of suffering for the name of Christ. So press on, Christian. Press on, battle-scarred, weary Christian in this room. Press on into Christ. Press on into His grace. Endure. Persevere. And when suffering comes, suffer well so that only God receives glory. And partake. Partake in this grace of His suffering. Can you hang with me just a few more minutes? Point number three. The passion in verse eight. For God is my witness how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. It's very difficult to over-communicate the amount of love and the affection within this passage. Paul is certainly and clearly expressing in verses 3 through 8, moreover, the entire letter. Note that he says, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. How I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ. This yearning that Paul speaks is a deep, gut-wrenching affection for a person. The affection of Christ, literally the bowels or the inner parts of a person, that is the most inner or deepest parts of a person's emotion. How I love you, Paul says, with the affection of Christ, I yearn for you. To which Paul says, I know of no higher court to which to appeal to you than my affection for you. God is my witness. I love you. That there is something to be said of the love that a pastor ought to have for his flock. To which I can attest of the supernatural working of God that He gives instant and deep love for the church in which He shepherds. Or at least it certainly ought to be that way. But also there's something to be said here in this text of the kind of love that is to be expressed in the local church. Not just a superficial, oh yeah, we love, we love you, we love one another. 
but a deep, abiding, bearing with, persevering with one another type of love. This is the love that is required to endure in partnership and in life together in the church. Because it's tough. Life is tough. Endurance is tough. Committing to one another is tough. Enduring with the local church is tough. But I'm also moved to tears as I peer into this text and to see the love that Paul is pointing the Philippians to. Namely, the affection of Christ. To know that these words are inspired words of God to His church. And Paul, who is writing under divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of this deep, abiding love for which Christ loves His bride. It's as though as we look into this text and as we examine the partnership, the affection, the love in this text, the Lord Jesus Himself is staring right back into our face and say, see how much I love you. To see when Paul says that he prays for the Philippian church often, to know and to know the truth that Paul expresses in Romans 8, that likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Every single time we pray, the Spirit Himself is praying for us. And for Paul, when he says that I know of God's continued work to know the truth that God has saved us, He will perfect us and He will sanctify us, oh, to be found in that golden chain of salvation in Romans 8. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that we may be the firstborn among many brothers. And for those He predestined, He also called. And for those He called, He also justified. And for those He justified, He will also glorify. And to see... The great love in which Paul suffering with me, he says to Philippians, to know that when we suffer, we are joining and suffering with our great Savior and are partaking with and suffering for His namesake. And so Paul says in Romans 8, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children and heirs, fellow heirs with God and heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. And to know that even in the midst of our suffering, it is intended greater grace and greater glory. And Paul says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. And Paul speaks of the work that God has begun to which we think of Christ and the work that He has begun in our hearts and He's removed our sins from us. And there is therefore, Romans 8.1, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when Paul speaks of partnership and of fellowship, we know of the love of Christ in our union and fellowship and the intimate abiding of Christ and His Spirit within us. For he says in Romans 8, you however are not in the flesh, but the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells 
in you. And oh, praise God to see the love that Paul says I have for the Philippian church, only to see the great and infinite love that God has and the affection that God has for us in Christ. And so Paul says in Romans 8, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Himself up for us all, how will He not also graciously give to us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the One who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Distress? Persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. That is it written, for His sake we are being cut all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure, oh how Paul is sure. And oh how we ought to be sure of the love of Christ. That neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all the creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God Himself is witness to which God can look to no one to say, can you be witness for me? No, God has spoken. And He has said, see how much I love you says, oh, that you would know the affection of Christ. And if you know the affection of Christ, that's how I yearn for you, Philippians. That's how much I love you, Philippians. That's how much I love you, church. And so don't quit because things are difficult. And don't quit when trouble comes. And don't quit when things are hard. And don't quit because life is messy. And don't quit because partnership is hard. Dig in. Press in. God is at work. Continue working. Continue joining together. Persevere. Partake together. Grow in love together. In the manner in which I love you is the same manner in which Christ Jesus loves you. So press on. And in so doing, you'll see exactly what it means to be together in the work of the gospel. Because, beloved, God doesn't give up on His bride. And He doesn't give in to allow them to conform and to sin. No, He continues His work and His purposes of grace. And He will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He will build His church. And He will redeem His bride and may we continue and we live and long for and continue in that until that great day and the Lord Jesus splits the sky and we are with Him for all eternity. And on that day, we can say, it's all been by Your grace and it's all been for Your glory. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. If you would like more information or have questions about Grace Life Church, please email us at gracelifedecatur at gmail.com or find us on Facebook by searching Grace Life Church Decatur. 
And if you live in the Decatur area, we would love for you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until next time on the Grace Life Church Podcast.